Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. The reading of God's Word this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, started in verse 15, and it reads like this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, this morning, my heart just overflows, just overflows with the very message Of who I am. I am nobody outside of your son Jesus Christ. And only because you chose to love me through him am I somebody. And what I am is a child of the king. I am yours. I've adopted into your family. And this morning, Father, as you speak to our heart through your word about how we are to walk within that family, I pray that you focus our attention solely upon you. You make very, very little of me and very much of yourself this morning, Father, that you may be seen in all of your glory. And let it be to your honor and glory that we preach this message this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you were with us last week, you know we started last week talking about this walk of wisdom. And I told you last week there are basically three things that that are thrown right out at us here by Paul in Ephesians that kind of express what it means to walk in wisdom. The very first thing that we looked at last week as we started in this was the desire for wisdom. We must desire in our heart for wisdom. And if you remember, I gave you an example from the Bible, this King Solomon, if you remember this King Solomon. Solomon, as we talked about this desire for for wisdom. So let's just flip back real fast just to kind of catch up. If you happen to be reading with us through the through the Bible this year, you ran across this particular passage uh, just this uh, past couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now in First Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 22. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we see this this, uh, King David here in uh, verse number uh, 5 saying this. Now now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make uh, preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations for before his death. So we see this King David that that is approaching death, but he's making this this preparation for this great house of the Lord, this temple that's going to be built. And we we see in verse six that it says, "Then he called for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel." So he called his son to him. And if, if you read down through the, the rest of that passage as it heads over towards verse 15 and 16 and over in that area. In verse 12 it says this. says, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel. So David's request as he was turning over this building of the kingdom to his or this building of the temple to his son uh, Solomon there was that God would give him wisdom. Wisdom to be able to build. If you remember, we read last week from Kings, first Kings chapter three, where God appeared to Solomon in a dream. 
And God said, ask anything that you want. If you were to, able to ask anything that you want, Solomon, what would it be? And Solomon reminisced about the fact that in his 20s, he was not physically capable of leading Israel. He didn't feel like he was worthy of the task. He didn't feel like he had the ability to do it. So he leaned on God and said, you know, the one thing that I need and I need, Father God, for your glory and for your people, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. You know, and I mentioned last week as we were talking, how often do we get on our knees before God and say, God, there's really only one thing I want. It's wisdom that you may be glorified in all that I do, that you may be the head of all that I do, that all I do may be within your will. And that's exactly what Solomon was praying. So we saw this desire in Solomon's heart for wisdom. It should be our desire. Yes, we have physical needs. We have things we need to ask God for. We have physical problems come up in our body we desire to be healed. But did you notice that if you read the story of King Solomon, he asked for wisdom, but what did God give him? Wisdom. And everything else is the richest man to ever live. He had the wealth of all the world. All he asked for was wisdom. See, we often ask for the things, forgetting that if we have the wisdom of God, God will be faithful to supply everything that we need and glorify himself through us. Why? Because we're showing his wisdom to the world. So we should desire wisdom. The second thing that we touched on last week just as we stopped was that we should not only have this desire for wisdom, but that we should discipline ourselves in the wisdom of God. Again, looking at, at what Solomon said over in Proverbs right after uh, the, the book of uh, uh, Psalms there, if you'll flip over into Proverbs chapter 2, we'll pick up where we left off last week. And, and there was this, this, uh, this proverb that was written by Solomon. He wrote this proverb of, about wisdom. Actually, if you have a study Bible, the title over chapter 2 of, sec, of Proverbs is the value of wisdom more than likely. And he wrote about this value of wisdom. And, and he introduces to us this value of wisdom by writing to his son. By writing a note to his son about what he wants to, him to know. He starts off there in verse 1 and says, My son. So we know he's writing to us, his family member. All of us as fathers want to pass along to our children some type of wisdom, don't we? we? We want to give them some wisdom. Why? Number one, we don't want them to have to walk the rocky hard road that we've walked. Number two, we want them to grow up to be all that they can, can be. And number three, we don't want them in trouble. We, we don't want them to suffer like we've suffered, making the silly mistakes. And Solomon probably had the same thought in his mind when it came to his family he wanted them to have this wisdom. He starts off, he says, my son there. And it's interesting that, that what the first thing that he points out to his son here is this origin of wisdom. See, you have to know where wisdom comes from to fully comprehend what wisdom is. And he says there in verse 6 of, of Proverbs chapter 2, he says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, he recognized right off the bat and pointed his son to the fact that real true wisdom only comes from one place. It's God. It's not how many hours you spend in a textbook. And I'm not giving you ladies an opportunity to say, I don't have to study because I'm getting my wisdom from God. That's not part of it. It's, it's not how many degrees you have hanging on your wall. It's not how many classes you take. It's not all the hard knocks you have in life that make you wise. Because see, wisdom only comes from one place. It's God. 
God holds all the wisdom. Matter of fact, he even says that his son, in his son coming, he brings us all the wisdom. And see, he's saying there, Solomon recognized that wisdom comes from God. God is the holder of all knowledge. And being the holder of all knowledge, he knows best how to use that knowledge. Oftentimes we agree God knows all things. Yet when it doesn't go our way, we don't want to do it as God says. But if he is the knower of all things, the holder of all knowledge and wisdom, doesn't he best know how to apply that wisdom in our lives? No matter how painful that may be at times. And one of the things that Solomon recognized was the fact that God was the holder of this. See, Solomon had taken into his heart the knowledge of God. How do we know that? In verse 1 where he says, my son, the next line says, if you receive my words. What were Solomon's words? Solomon's words were God's words. Because he recognized every word, every thought, every practice that he had, all the wisdom that he had came from God. Therefore, the words that exited from him were of God. See, he recognized this origin of wisdom. It's important to understand who holds it all, but it's also important to do something with it. It's not just good enough to know God's God. Let's face it. Satan recognizes God's God. He recognizes that God is God. It's not good enough to recognize he's God. It's, you have to understand he has this wisdom and you have to do something with it. And what did Solomon say that he did with it? He put it so in his heart that his very words became the words of God. How different would your world be if your every thought and your every word was right from the voice of God as he spoke to your heart on a daily basis? How different would this world be if our direction was directed by the very word of God? See, if you look at the problems that we have, it's because people don't recognize that origin of wisdom and place that wisdom in their heart. You see, Solomon had made God's word his life. Because when he asked for God's wisdom, God placed that wisdom in him and it became the very breath of Solomon. See, Solomon had subjected himself to God and he had taken his word as the truth. Church, I have to tell you, if there's a problem in our church, most churches, if not all churches in America and Christians in general, is that we don't believe that every word that's written in this book is true. We try our best to find a way to twist and turn and apply it in manners it was never intended. Think how much better life would be if you just opened up and said, that's what he said. If that's what he said, he's got to back it up, and that's what I'm going to do, no matter how foolish it may sound to me. Let's face it. When they approached the walls of Jericho with an army, how foolish did it sound? Whatever they were instructed, hey, just gather the people up, get your horns out. We're going to make a little tour around the city one day, and we're going back to the house. The next day, we're going to get up, we're going to make a little tour. How many days did they go and make a little tour around the city? Seven. What happened on the seventh day? The walls came tumbling down. Remember the story? How foolish does that sound? If I had an army, am I going to get the trumpeteers out and say, let's march around and blow it? And I'm going through the front door. But God said, no. In his wisdom, he understood the best way for God to be glorified was for Jericho to fall in a miraculous, God-filled way. Do you think the people inside the city were laughing by the seventh day? Going, what are these fools doing? They were probably up on the wall going, march on around. They were probably cheering them on by then thinking, these dummies, they can't even find the front door to get in. What do you think they thought when the wall said, 
they suddenly realize there's a God. And these folks may know who he is. See, sometimes God's wisdom doesn't make much sense to us. And it didn't to Solomon quite often. But you know what Solomon decided in his heart? God's God, I'm not. God's word's true, my word's not. So I'm going to choose God, and I'm going to choose his word. And he applied that in his heart. Why? Because he understood the origin of wisdom. Not only did he understand the origin of wisdom, but he understood the oracle of wisdom. The oracle of wisdom. You're probably thinking, boy, that's an awful big word. It's only because I couldn't find another O word that went with origin. So we're going to use oracle. And the oracle of wisdom, he says there in verse 5, he says this, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How many of us want to be smarter? Anybody? Yesterday, I'll just use this as an example. We started off yesterday not real smart when we first started working. Thankfully, we had somebody with us that was smarter than us, and it really hurts my heart to say that it was Elbert. But it was. We started yesterday, decided he's going to dump the dirt, and we're going to rake it out. That lasted about... 20 foot, as I was bent over heaving for all I was worth would give out, Albert said, hmm, I got a box blade at the house. I could probably go get it. And we can just drag the dirt down the side. That's wisdom because I know what would have happened. In about an hour, the pastor would have checked out. I'd have suddenly had to go work on my sermon. I'll tell you no story. I'd ask God for forgiveness later. Them boys were killing me. But, but it was this particular knowledge. Elbert had the knowledge to run a box blade, which I didn't have. Matter of fact, they wouldn't let me on it because they said I'd knock the wall down or the fellowship ball. But that's the story of another time. But he had this knowledge to do it. But he didn't just have the knowledge. He applied the knowledge. And by applying the knowledge, it made the day easier. I use that when I think about, about God. Oftentimes, we know the knowledge of God. Yet we keep it stuck on the shelf and try to do it our way. And at the end of the day, complain that, boy, this Christian walk sure is difficult. You know why? You never put the box blade on the tractor and brought it to the job. It's still in the barn. If you put the knowledge of God in the barn, your life as a Christian is going to be difficult. It is going to be extremely difficult because you're putting diesel fuel in a gasoline engine or you're, you're doing something that God hasn't designed you to do. God's designed you to know the origin of wisdom and the oracle, his word, is to be applied in your life. That's what fuels your Christian walk. And he, he understood something that we need to understand. <laughs> By studying and internalizing God's Word, we are within the will of God's Word. I hear so many people say, I sure wish I knew what God's will for me is. I just want to hand them a Bible and say, try reading it. It's not real hard. God didn't show up one day and tell me I was going to be a preacher. He didn't show up at a cloud. He didn't strike lightning. He didn't fly a plane by. Because I was in God's Word, one day He just softly spoke, I've got something in store for you. Something in store for you. Six months later, the something showed up. It wasn't that day. You know, I was just reading through the Word and realized, you know what? God's got plans for my life. I understood it. Reading the Word, God never showed up and sat down in a chair and said, you're going to be a preacher. God just so put the Word inside of me that I knew six months before you guys ever called me, there was something going on. God was going to do something. God never showed up in a flashbang or sent me a message. He sent a committee to say, hey, we'd like to call you as pastor. And I said, now I know what God had going on the whole time. Had I not been in his word, the call would have never come. The call would have never come because I'd have never heard it. Even if it came, I wouldn't have understood it because I wouldn't have been in his word. What Solomon knew is by taking and studying his word, reading his word, internalizing it, it comes out of you. It comes out of you and God's able to direct you in your life. See, Solomon tells us exactly how to do it in, in verse 2 of that proverb when he says, 
so that you incline your ear to wisdom. He says we should incline our ear to wisdom. How do we incline our ear? See, we hear the oracle of wisdom, the word, God's word. That's how we incline our ear. This does not mean that we sit back and wait for God to speak. I don't know that God has ever showed up in a great big loud voice and spoke to me. I don't know of anybody that really one day had the whole Saul experience with God. I don't know many people that could ever say they really heard the voice of God outside of the Bible directing them to it. Oftentimes you only hear God speak when he speaks to you through the word of God. And he should do that daily, if not hourly in your life. And one of the things that I find interesting, he says, he says you need to incline your ear, you need to read the word because God speaks to us through the Bible. He's taken the pens of men and written his very words down on the pages that you hold in your hand. Every time you open it, it's like you're sitting next to God and he's speaking to you. And he says there, he says you're to incline, you're to incline your ear, you're to incline this ear, why? So that you can apply your heart to understanding. As we read the Bible through together this year, it's not how many pages you cover, it's how much of God's Word covers you. See, when you read it, it should just flow over you and in you in such a way that you see God in a brand new way. And see, he's telling us here, we need to incline our ears. Yet I'll be honest with you, most Christians pick up their Bible one time a week. You want to know when that is? Sunday morning. You know what that tells me? that you either want your Sunday school teacher or me to tell you what the Bible says. You know there's an entire religion that got in trouble that way that still exists today. There's there's an entire group. I don't know if you know what this year is. It's the 500th uh, year celebration of how we became to be Protestants, the Reformation. A guy named Martin Luther, if you remember, nailed something through the front door of a church. It was called a thesis. You know where that came from? He picked up one of these for the very first time and read it. He was part of the church clergy, but he picked one of these up for the first time and read it. Why had he never read one before is the question that comes to my mind. Because in the Catholic church, there was only one place that there was a Bible. Matter of fact, they had a Bible designed for it. It's called the chain Bible. It was chained to the pulpit. That's <laughs> where he didn't. There was only one person that was able to take the Bible and tell you what it said. It was the person in charge, the priest, the preacher. For years, he had sat and heard the Bible explained to him until he picked it up one day. He read it and he went... What I just read and what he's been teaching are not the same thing. There's this thing called grace. There's this thing called mercy. It's not about what I give. It's about what God gave. He understood for the very first time that Jesus Christ died for our sins apart from anything we could offer. And what he did is he set forth this Protestantism we happen to be in. Fortunately now the Catholic Church has changed it, it has changed. They, they carry Bibles, they read Bibles, they study. But at that point in time, in their history, there was one person that was allowed to say what it said. And it was the guy standing behind this. Do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back to me being the only interpreter? No. Well, if you don't pick up your Bible anytime other than Sunday when I preach, you're taking yourself back there. I'm not taking you back there. I want you. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to come and challenge me with the Word of God and make me grow. But see, he understood. 
He understood that the only way you're going to grow in the Lord, the only way that you're going to become what God has in store for you is for you to take the Word of God and place it in your heart. I know what you're telling me. You're saying, look, I can hardly find time to sleep. I'm so busy. Work takes me away. I've got kids. I've got six or seven different practices and ball games. I've got these things to do. I've got those things to do. Let me tell you, church. Ever satisfy you if God is not put first in your life? Those things will be as filthy rags before holy God. Put in the correct order, there's nothing wrong with those things. But put ahead of God, there is everything wrong with those things. See, he's saying that we should incline our heart. We can find time to do those things. We should find time to be able to study God's Word daily. See, we can't seem to figure out how our Christian life seems to be so rocky, how it seems to be so difficult. Yet he tells us in Proverbs 2, verse 7, he says this, He, God, stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. You want to know how to have your own shield in your Christian battle? He just told us, matter of fact, we'll see it in Ephesians as we get towards the end. There's this shield that we have, and this shield comes from this Word of God. Placing the Word of God in our heart places a shield of God's protection around us because He is going to protect His Word, and if you're filled with His Word, He's going to protect you. He's going to look after you. Is it going to make your walk roses? Absolutely not. If our Christian walk is supposed to be very rosy, He owes a lot of people in the Bible an apology. So don't think that it's going to be easy, but it will be possible. Because with God, all things are possible. God promises to never leave you or forsake you. But if you turn your back on God and you're not interested in what He has to say, don't fall on your knees before Him when times get difficult and think He owes you anything. I'll be honest. If I were God, there'd be a lot of less help for some folks that call themselves Christians. Because of the way we treat Him, I don't know how He still has the mercy and grace to treat us the way He does. And that's exactly what Solomon's saying when he's saying, hey, you put God first. But to walk uprightly requires a whole lot of effort on our part. And when he says here that there is this, this path and, and there's this protection, and he's going he's gonna, to uh, set our path so that we can walk uprightly, that tells me there's going to be some difficult times. There's going to be some things that are required of me. Once I know who this God is and what He says, there re becomes this requirement of me. And Solomon here said, hey, I know the origin of wisdom and I know the oracles of wisdom. How did he know those? Because number one, he desired wisdom. Num number two, he disciplined himself. He disciplined himself to gain that wisdom by studying the Word. But the last thing that he did, and this is the most amazing thing, and I think where we fall short the most as Christians is he dedicated himself to doing the wisdom of God. Church, we need to dedicate ourselves to doing this wisdom of God that we find in his word. See, back in Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 5, where we started this morning in verse 16, he makes this statement. He says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. I thought, I thought as I read this, I said, redeeming the time. I immediately, I immediately thought of those times in my life that I just want to turn the world off. You ever have those? 
You ever have those down days that you just want to turn everything off? You ever have those times you don't want to be bothered? You don't want to have a list of things to do? You, you don't want to go through all the hustle and bustle of the day? You just want the world to shut off. You know, it's okay. It's okay to turn the world off. But you know what we find ourselves doing a lot of times? And we do it especially this time of the year. Vacation time. Boy, don't you love to take a vacation? Refresh and renew. You know the problem with vacation as a Christian? We try to take a vacation from God when we take a vacation. Do any of us need a vacation from God? Has God done anything so burdensome to you that you need a vacation from God? But many of us go on vacation. But how many of us still seek God in the same manner on vacation that we do at home in service at the church? A lot of times we turn off the world and we turn off God. And see, what he said here is there needs to be this redeeming of your time. Why must there be redeeming of our time? Quite frankly, because our time is short. Our time is awfully short. We must learn to use our time wisely because our time is limited. You never know when the day is going to be your last day. God doesn't promise you tomorrow. He doesn't owe us a thing. You never know when today is going to be it. The old saying goes, we all have 24 hours in a day. And then that's true. And, but that's not what Paul's saying here when he says time. We tend to take time and we apply it to the hands on a clock. That's not what Paul's saying here when he says time. The word that he's using here for time is this word karyos. It's not chronological time. The best English word probably to be used for the, the word time would be redeeming the opportunity. This kurios word is about opportunity. Yesterday as we were working, they needed some water and I needed a break, so I quickly volunteered and I jumped in my truck and took off to get us water. Who would think you're just going up to the store to get some water? By the time I left, I told them, I said, I didn't think I was ever going to get back. I go in and buy an armload of water. Of course, the lady at the counter wants to know. So I tell her, I said, well, we've got a bunch of guys working up at the church up here. She said, which church? I got to tell her. She said, I said, you ought to come. She said, I used to get her. I said, well, come on. I said, the preaching really stinks, but the people are nice. And, and got to talk. she said, who's the preacher? I said, oh, that'd be me. And she, so she said, well, then that attracts the other. They get to talking to them. So to load up the bag. So now I've talked to them just a few minutes about church. I'm heading outside. There's a whole bunch of motorcycles out in the parking lot. So as I'm walking by, they were like, boy, you sure are thirsty. A couple of them, they were standing out there you know, smoking a cigarette by the corner. So I stopped and said, yep, yeah, got a bunch of guys working at the church. And they got to tell us, what church? I told them, I said, yes, yeah, they're beating the pastor to death up there. They're trying to make him preach better. You know, He's not good, but they're working on him. They said, oh, really? Who's the pastor? I said, that'd be me. You know, they got, so by the time I left, about 10 people had heard about Morris Creek Baptist Church in a matter of 10 minutes. That's nothing to do with me. It's just that happens to be my life. That's what I wanted to talk to them about. I redeem the opportunity. Did I have to go to the store to get water for the guys anyway? Absolutely. But what God laid before me when I showed up was an opportunity to invite them, to tell them what we were doing. They found it very interesting that the guys would be out in the middle of the day working in, in the yard. They just thought it was neat. But you know, it's this opportunity every moment of the day that we need to seize for God's glory. We need to take those things that we would throw away and do foolish things with. We need to seize them with the wisdom of God. See, we dedicate ourselves to using every opportunity to show God love. If we, if we dedicate ourselves to, to show everybody around us God's love, it's going to be a little difficult for us. I'll be honest. 
because you're going to have to do it at work. You're going to have to do it at home. Ladies, you're going to have to do it in school. You're going to have to do it when you're standing in the line at the grocery store and it's not moving fast enough. You're going to have to do it on Wednesday when the Powerball number is really high and all you want is a bottle of water and there's 15 people buying a lottery ticket in front of you. You're going to have to do it when the guy cuts you off driving down the road. You're going to have to do it when you get behind the tractors that are out plowing the fields right now and you've got to be somewhere in five minutes, but there's a tractor that's blocking the entire road and you can't get around them. You're going to have to redeem each of those moments for God. Is that easy? No, if it was, we'd already be doing it. But see, what, what Paul said and what Solomon echoed for us is that we need to seize every opportunity for the glory of God. We're always to be engaged in the wisdom of God. And what is God's wisdom? That His will be done. See, we're to avoid unwise things, as it says in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but it goes on to say, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a big question. What is the will of God? Who could raise your hand and say, you know the will of God? You hold the will of God in your hand. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, read it. It's there. For instance, turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. This is really simple. This is one any of us can figure out. Verse number 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Doesn't get much clearer than that. The question then arises, what is sanctification? Because to be born again, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to understand you're a sinner in need of salvation, there's only one way you can be saved, is through Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who came and lived a perfect life as an example for us, crawled upon a cross willingly and gave his life that our sins may be forgiven, was buried in a tomb, rose three days later that we might have the hope of eternal life in a place called heaven with him forever. That's justification. Then what is this sanctification? Sanctification is what happens between the day that you're justified and the day that you're glorified in the presence of God again when he calls you from this earth and you're in your glorious new body. It's this life we live. It's the dash between your birth date and your death date on your tombstone. Sanctification is that short little dash in the middle. He explains it for us right there whenever he says, uh, uh, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, each you should know how to possess his own vestal and sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner because the Lord is in the avenger of all such. Also, we, are, are, we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not... Not reject man, but God, who has given, uh, also given us his Holy Spirit. What, what does it mean to be sanctified? Is to live a holy life, he says at the end of verse 7. It is to be holy because God is holy. See, what he's saying is, you want to know the will of God? The will of God is for you to be like Jesus. Every day you should take a step closer to Jesus. Matter of fact, if you'll flip over to 1 Peter very quickly for me, 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this in First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. And this is a big one. I picked this one just because of what's going on in our world today. But it says this in First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He says... 
<laughs> we are to submit ourselves to the government. We could have shortened that up and just said, therefore, submit yourselves to the government. Well, that's a little difficult in our environment today now, isn't it? Fortunately, he goes on and lets us know that it's greater than what he's saying. For he says in verse 15, for this is the will of God. Whether I think it's in my best interest or not to do that which the government lays at my feet, he says that it is the will of God that I be submissive, submissive to that government. Why? He doesn't stop there. He says that by doing good, you may put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. He puts some pretty serious stipulations on us there, doesn't he? See, because he says that we're to show honor to all people. We're to love the brotherhood. Who is the brotherhood? Look next to you. You're sitting next to him. It's your brother and sister in Christ. He goes on to say that we're to fear God. How do we fear God? We abide by his every word. We do that which he says to do. He goes on to say that we are to honor the government. The only time that we shouldn't honor the government is if the government puts us in a position of dishonoring our God. Other than that, the authorities of government have been put in place by the very one who holds all wisdom, God. And very quickly, what is the outcome of dedicating ourselves to doing this wisdom of God? To walking in such a way that the people around us see that there is this God. That we put to shame those who work against the government, those who work against Christians. They, we put them to shame just by doing what God has told us. Back in Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 5, he closes out this section that we read this morning telling us about this outcome, this outcome. He says there in, in verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. What is the outcome? What is the outcome of no longer seeking to stimulate our minds and our bodies and our, and our, our beings with the pleasures of the world? What is the outcome of turning away from those pleasures of the world and turning to God? We're filled with the Spirit. See, when you turn to the Word for your pleasure and not the things on the shelf or the doctor's prescriptions or the TV or the Internet, when you turn to the Word of God for your pleasure, you become filled. You become filled to the very brim. How many of us as Christians want to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Anybody other than me? I would love to know that every step I took pleased my God. I would want to know every thought I had came from my God. I want to know every word that I uttered was a blessing from God. How do we do that? We turn away from the pleasures of the world. We seek the pleasure of God through his word. He goes on to say then that, uh, and do not be drunk with wine as a dissipation. Be filled with the spirit. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. He says, we no longer treat each other unkindly. We no longer treat each other unkindly. We do like the kids did this morning. We bless each other with the word of God through singing. You know, it blesses my heart to hear Kay come in on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. I can always tell she's in the building long before she ever gets to my office. You know how? She's either singing a song or whistling one. And it's always a hymn or an old gospel song. See, when that word comes out through your actions, through your singing, through your happiness, through your praise of God and the words that you speak, the world is changed. And he's saying we're no longer unkindly. We speak to each other in hymns and songs and 
spiritual songs. We no longer take our blessings for granted, he says in verse 20. He says, give thanks always for all things to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can look in the eyes of some this morning that from a physical standpoint, I can understand why you're not thankful for what's fell upon you. From a physical standpoint, I understand completely. From a spiritual standpoint, though, I know God was in control of every one of those things. And whether it be good or whether it be bad, it came from God. Therefore, it is great (laughs) because God has promised that he will always do that, which is perfect because his will is perfect. It's not perfect for us. It's perfect for him. And let's face it. If he can rain down burdens upon me to glorify himself, I'll take it. Let it flow because he's also promised that if he rains down those burdens on my life, he's going to be right there holding me in the palm of his hand. He's going to take every step with me. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. He's going to give me the strength to endure whatever falls. And that's to the glory of God. How did I know that? I internalized the word of God. That's how I can hold on in those times. But he also goes on to say in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What is the outcome of dedicating ourselves to the word, the oracle, the wisdom of God? We no longer seek to be first. We do just as the word says. We place ourselves last because you are more important than me. I would rather you have what you need than me. Why not? that it, being a sacrificial lamb makes me anything special, but because God's word says that. He says to be first, what's much you be on this earth? Last. To be first, you must be last. It wasn't an option. And he says if we dedicate ourselves to knowing the wisdom of God, the outcome is going to be we submit ourselves to each other, and by submitting to each other, we submit to God through that, and we lift each other up, and we place each other First, See, do you really desire to know the wisdom of God? Because with that desire comes responsibility. See, for what you know, you're going to be hold account, held accountable for. The more you know, the more accountability. But on that exact same scale comes the more you know, the more blessing from God. So do you desire to know the wisdom of God? Are you disciplining yourself every day? to take that wisdom into your heart through the reading of His Word? Are you disciplining yourself every day to do that? And then once you've taken that in your heart, are you dedicating yourself to live that way? I think the message that Paul's given us that we also saw Solomon write about is that the most important thing we can ask God for is His wisdom. By asking for his wisdom, we then need to discipline ourselves to take that wisdom into our heart through the reading of his word. Once we've taken that wisdom into our heart, we need to dedicate ourselves to use it for God's glory on this earth. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.